0: Greetings, everyone. Derek Johnson here with Aurora WDC and welcome to another episode of Running Into the Fog. Brother Eric Johnson. Eric, how are you today? Hey, Derek. Doing good. Always fun to recruit our guests for this uh, podcast, and today is no different. We have our great friend and advocate partner in Aurora, Todd Nilsson, on the channel here today, everybody. Todd, welcome.
1: Hey, thank you so much for having me on the show.
0: Hi, Todd. Good to have you on here, finally. Hey, yes. We are recording this episode on October the 6th of 2021. It's episode 24 and expect release uh, right after the new year. So, week of January 4th or so of 2022, we expect this to go live. And know that we're going to go pretty deep on the concept of communities and what that means, a variety of different settings today, Todd. But why don't we start with that shirt of yours, um, Dungeons and Dragons? my brother Eric's actually got a good story about that. What's your story about D&D? Uh,
1: my story is uh, it's been kind of a formative experience in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was introduced to the game uh, back around 1980 uh, when, when my my mother uh, for my birthday uh, got me a, an old boxed set uh, of the game and uh, not knowing anything about what it was about. And I think my my father and I, went down into that gaming haven of the basement and, and played games then for the next 20 years, uh, you know, until I got through, uh, high school and into college. And, uh, and it's been a lifelong love affair with, uh, with the gaming hobby and tabletop games and card games of all sorts. Um, I was never a sports kid. I I was always, uh, I, I was always, you know, more interested in picking up dice or getting a board game out or playing something tactical or strategic. Uh, so that's, uh, it, it's been a powerful influence on me you know over the years and I, I feel that a lot of the things that I've learned in that subculture in that world as nerdy as it is um, has translated well in, into my professional life and a lot of the things that I do so um, so that's that's my nerdy roots I, 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 I work I fly the flag loud and proud
2: that's cool well Derek alluded to me having a story about that and actually um, Gary Gygak's son, Luke, was one of my college roommates. uh, I know Luke, sure. You know Luke? Yep. (laughs) And uh, so we'd uh, occasionally pay a visit down to Lake Geneva. And uh, I don't know if you knew that Gary was super into firearms and stuff. And we would doing mag dumps from a full auto Uzi into Lake Geneva. I mean, there's almost (laughs) nothing better.
1: I'm not surprised. That's a good story. Yeah. He he is a revered guy in gaming circles, and uh, you know his, his son Luke has uh, really picked up the standard. And uh, you know they, they they do Gary Con down in Lake Geneva every year, the the, the land of D anD D, you know where it first emerged, and uh, it's uh, it's it's a really um, fun time. I, I did get down to one of those events uh, in the past couple of years pre COVID and um and it was wonderful it was it was, it was really uh, a lot of fun and and really captured the spirit of the the people that love the hobby so much
2: when is that gary con
1: it's in march of every year
2: well maybe next year they'll do it live and we can meet up there
1: uh, they are talking about that yeah <laughs> i don't know
2: about full out full auto uzi mag dumps into lake geneva but you never know
1: <laughs> yeah well what's so lo- what's so lovely about that 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 uh that gaming culture is i mean that dungeons and dragons as you know fantasized as everything is around that and the dice rolling that it all emerged out of um out of tabletop wargaming uh, experiences right. and uh, uh you know they're, they're, those are very connected hobbies
0: which is ironic because that's something that we have a lot of love and passion for around here, the concept of war gaming and scenario planning and simulations and all that good stuff. But Todd, let's go back to uh you mentioned some of your roots, not being uh, necessarily into sports but into tabletop gaming and another uh you know nerdy love affair, some'm using your words, and ordinarily I wouldn't do that but I'm racing
1: man No, no absolutely um,
0: <laughs> you know t- let's talk about uh kind of where are you at. So geographically, I think you're in uh, eastern, northeastern part of the state of Wisconsin. And uh, what, what gets mm-hmm. you going on a day-to-day basis?
1: Yeah, well, I'll tell you. Uh, so my wife and I have been living in Two Rivers, Wisconsin, uh, which is about an hour and a half, two hours north of Milwaukee. And we've been here for about the past four years. Prior to that, we were living for about 20 years in downtown third ward in, the, in, the, in Milwaukee and uh, loved city life. It was great, Had both worked worked in the downtown area, actually wor- walked to work. We, lo- we like the sustainability of that. But uh, moved up this way a few years back to be a little closer to her parents. And um, we just fell in love uh, with, with the area. And so you know the things that get me up in the morning, my wife and I are early risers. Uh, we get up and we, we literally live across the street uh, from Lake Michigan. And so we walk over to this unfinished beach and we walk up and down the beach, walk a couple of miles every morning before, before we start our workday, whenever we can and weather permitting. Um, but uh, to answer your question, yes, uh, even in winter and in the fall, uh, when the weather turns nasty and cold, we may be the only ones on the beach, but we're there. <laughs> hey, even uh, in winter, I'm impressed. It I'm impressed. Yeah. yeah it, the beach does weird and interesting things in the winter. Uh, you get these ice flows that come up onto it, and it, it, it's like somebody dumped a load of ice cubes on the beach, and uh, kind of crunching around there. And, and actually, the way the waves come in, they sometimes form these these long drifts that go out into the water and become like these ornate ice caves and things. You know, looking. You know, I sure wouldn't want to walk out on on the ice, you know, for there. But uh, it's it's quite interesting to see. I I love the seasons in Wisconsin, and it's. Uh, uh, it's definitely motivating to see sort of nature and you know, the passage of time and and the animal life and everything that's in this space. Um, it's, it's been a powerful motivator through the difficult pandemic. That's for sure. Pretty
2: cool. I think we first met through, did we meet through Kurt? Paul Beck.
1: We did. Yeah.
2: And, and I know you were at the reconverged G2 meeting in 2018, I think when we ran the war game on Thursday and sounds, the rest of it. about yeah. right, Yeah. Well, I, and ever since, you know, I'd been looking for an excuse for us to team up and collaborate on something. And when the pandemic hit, uh, we had this opportunity to explore building digital communities online. And, uh, of a particular stripe uh, and uh, this so this is coming out in january and we're having this conversation in october uh, there'll be a, a couple of milestones that'll hit in the next couple of months um, tell me about that you know and obviously don't feel like you have to tell me the collaboration has been you know more than you ever hoped or dreamed or anything like that obviously when you're starting something like this where we're really kind of inventing something new Coming at it from the point of view of a digital and online community development builder, you know, de, you know, developer and builder, which is really how I would describe you. What are we doing with stakeholder reconnaissance communities that gets you excited? And then, um, you know, where did where does online community building and development go in the next decade? Coming at it from a subject matter expert point of view
1: yeah I mean a couple couple of really amazing questions to unpack there. And uh, I'll start with, you know first of all, our collaboration that we've we've had the opportunity to to work on together. And it has been a great thing, and it has been very stimulating uh, to uh, be able to collaborate with 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 both of you guys and and the rest of the team. Because uh, there's a great tech team that's been put together for this and creative team that's been put together for this. Um, my my stock and trade, my day-to-day work is uh, in building online communities and digital workplaces. I'm fascinated by the idea of how you build trust and safe spaces um, in the online world where people can meaningfully get together and connect and do things with each other that maybe ge- geography makes impossible um, or at least difficult uh, to do and um i've been i've been working in the space formally since 2013 uh, but really as far back as about 2001 uh once again to embrace my gaming roots a little bit my first experiences with online communities were with uh with gaming communities and discussion forums uh, around that space but um you know in in more recent times i've done a lot of work uh, with fortune 1000 up through fortune 100 companies uh, and their plans to create online communities and meaningful online experiences for either their customers or their stakeholders, their employees, you know, whatever group they're trying to reach. And um, and it's about establishing trust and, uh, and, and making sure that people feel they've got a safe place to interact. And so what I'm excited about with our project, what we've been doing together is uh, building these stakeholder reconnaissance communities, which is a bit of a new term. It's not something that's bandied about, you know, typically in the online communities world. And so I'd love to talk to you guys a little bit about sort of the naming of that and what's involved with it. But um, I got really interested in it because we were talking about um, almost creating a template or a repeatable process for standing up uh, stakeholder reconnaissance communities. And that these are these are communities that um, seem to be at least for the moment very regionally based geographically, uh, and that they are tied to uh, economic or personal or spiritual well-being um, in in various ways. But um, but they're all about sort of raising the level of prosperity uh, within within a region. And um, so I like um, that it's not just it's not like a Reddit where you've got. billion communities um that yeah by accident there are some of them that are related to each other we're talking about here setting up um related or if if, affinitized communities um, in a very curated way um purposefully relating them to each other in terms of mission and um and having sort of a like platform so that um there is uh overlap or crossover ways for those those communities to meet with and, and do things with each other. Uh, I, I I was fascinated by this. And I think that it is a categorically new concept. And since that time, there have been some other things that have come up that have that have deeply interested me, which I'm sure we'll talk about on this, uh, you know, particularly NFTs uh, and some of the work that, that uh, we've had a chance to collaborate on and I've been able to learn uh, from. So I'll I'll pause and let you guys get a word in edgewise. Uh, just to say that you know the big takeaway for me is um, I'm excited to work with you guys because I get to work with smart people I get to learn stuff and uh, and and I get to add the things that I know to what you're doing and we're building something incredible together that uh, that really excites me
2: well and that's kind of where the name of the podcast comes from running into the fog the idea is we don't need to know everything about what comes next in order to make progress towards it in order to trust each other. you know, And that's really a big, uh, I love your emphasis there on trust. Trust is the scarcest resource out there. And I think in traditional social media-based community settings, where you are in with a bunch of people, some of whom you know, many of whom you don't, um, there is zero trust is sort of the default starting point. And that zero trust environment leads to all sorts of you know, bad effects. And, and, you know, I think the big problem right now that Facebook was just out a couple of days ago when we, uh, from the time that we're recording this, it uh, was big Facebook outage um, border gateway protocol issues and all kinds of things with their uh, IP internet protocol, uh, TCP IP. And uh, there was a survey going around. I noticed where it was trending around who, who's missing Facebook today. And it was like, Nope, Not really, uh, not really, not really missing the opportunity to get my dose of hate from all the people who disagree with me. Now, the reason I bring that up is because the idea of SRCs are that stakeholders don't have to agree on, on everything. They just have to agree that they stand to win or lose as a result of the future and how capital in the form of ideas and action and resources allocated. If they agree that they all stand to win or lose as a result, then the the scarce resources trust and truth becomes the coin of that realm. And so just because I disagree with your perspective on reality doesn't mean that we're not both right. It merely means that I'm looking at reality from a different point of view. And I think that's really my hope with SRCs and Open Recon as a platform and all of the various mechanisms that we're... Uh, configuring and some that we're inventing uh, that that that'll be where it sort of shows us the opportunity is that people can come together and turn insights into actions that actually have material results in the world and that's really if you're wondering why why would an intelligence company get involved in stakeholder reconnaissance communities of faith and regional prosperity and all this other stuff that's it's because that's how insights become actions and it it's outside of any singular organization by the way. These are multi-organizational uh, sub-communities, and I'll even say they already exist nascently. They're just disconnected and fragmented, and then that's a that's a big, big part of the SRCs that we're currently prototyping. I
1: I love that, uh, and sorry, Derek. I don't know if you're going to say something there. You go first. Yeah. Uh, so just to to draw a distinction here, um, I I love the the difference, as you stated, between SRCs and social media platforms. And in fact, I don't think of social media platforms as communities. Um, although people use, you know, and malign that word badly, uh, an awful lot. Um, I go back to some of the original sociological definitions of community, which there's a German author, I think his name is Torres. Uh, uh, Tories. Um, I'm gonna Brain myself later for not remembering uh, yep. the exact name, <laughs> but um, uh, he talks about um, Gemeinschaft versus Gesellschaft, and the idea of Gemeinschaft is um, community. You know that that's essentially where the word community you know comes out of, and talking about it in terms of a group of people who have a common purpose. Um, so if you think in terms of you know early Neolithic communities, the common purpose was survival a decision to survive. This woolly mammoth keeps trampling our people. We're gonna go kill it and we're gonna get some food and we're gonna survive, you know, because of that. Um, as opposed to Gesellschaft, which is a more modern term that was coined around the time that, that, that you know, in the 1800s when, when this came out, um, which was the sense that um, it's, a, it's a coming together of people for a more mercantile sort of purpose. There's exchange of goods or services, but it's a low trust atmosphere. I would argue that social media is Gesellschaft. communities are Gemeinschaft um, because they are bringing together those people with the like interests who are trying to survive, you know, either literally or figuratively in, in one way or another.
2: Let me extend that idea to mindset and suggest, and I won't try and pronounce those German words, but that the mercantilist transactional perspective is a mindset of finite means to an end versus the other one, the community mindset being an infinite game that you're just trying to keep playing. And I'm using, I'm invoking Simon Sinek there in that observation that there's a finite mindset, an infinite mindset. And if you apply the incorrect mindset to a, the opposite type of game, you destabilize it. And that's actually the principle, I think, in the industrial psychology around Examples like We Exist and Neighboring Life and soon to be Recon G2 Consortium that my brother's going to be launching here in the not too distant future. The idea is to take infinite mindsets into finite games to destabilize them and make them more than they would have been without it.
0: I think that's a really cool observation. The the mindset, I'm a big believer in mindset being more than half the battle toward any uh, end objective. And you know, if, you, if you translate that to the community concept, we all know, you know trust and truth are different things. You have to work at both uh, in order to get any community. Uh, I don't care again, if you're talking about something that's really public or something that's behind a paywall, um, any community has such a strong tendency to uh, have, have some level of toxicity Involved in its community, and that's where I love your distinction, Todd, around social media not being a community. You know, it's too easy to hide behind, you know, behind the screen, so to speak, in social media, or it's a low trust platform, or you know, you, you friend everybody. And we had a guest on this podcast recently talking about hey, it was it's quantity over quality, and social media tends to be that way. Whereas communities and really building relationship. That drives to trust. That drives to truth. Even if you disagree, you disagree respectfully. Um, that isn't, I think, a, a little bit of a lost on us phenomenon in today's world because it's it's just a little bit too easy to you know hit the send button on something that isn't thoughtful or respectful. And you know, in these communities that we're talking about in the episode that. It went live a couple of weeks ago by the time our listeners listen to this episode is, is one that was really amazing with our friend Jasmine Johnson, who uh, had the vision for We Exist. And you know, if we link that to what We Exist is all about and a little bit more about that you know, coming out in the coming months as we, we get ready for this podcast release, what, is your, what has been your biggest aha moment about We Exist? You know, obviously, you've had the benefit now uh, you know, with uh, time. To listen to jasmine's podcast but what, what's the big aha that that here the 6th of october that you can share with our listeners about we exist and what do you take from that and translate it to uh, future digital communities that we, we all might get involved in
1: yeah so i i think what i'm intrigued by is the sustainability of uh of we exist and uh and and its necessity uh not just in milwaukee but in in cities around the country and and around the world, you know for that matter, and what what Jasmine has hit upon is uh, the ability to partner uh, with uh, enterprise organizations and employers uh, throughout the area in a way that they can do more than they could accomplish singly with their with their diversity and inclusion programs. and i'm really I'm really intrigued by that model, and I think it's a necessary model. Um, that can show uh, return on investment to those organizations. So I've, I've, I've worked with, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make an oblique step here <laughs> to, to draw a comparison. Um, I've done a lot of work in entrepreneurship and, and startup business building. And I've had a number of conversations uh, with some very large employers uh, in Milwaukee and elsewhere about supporting entrepreneurship. Um, in the market, and in theory, they're very for it. Um, but what they quickly get fatigued around is writing a check for an event that's finite ends, and then there's they don't see that it's sustainable in any way. Um, now you can throw stones at those enterprise organizations for not having the vision to see that that is part of raising the tide uh, for every, for everybody, but. It it's it it is it is a problem, um, that uh, is is difficult to get your arms around when you're trying to solve a wicked problem like that where there's not a correct answer and you're trying to figure out what is a sustainable way to make it work. I think one of the I think what Jasmine has hit upon uh, with this is a way for all of those organizations to um, financially support that that digital community space. Um, in a way that they get dividends um, for investing in it over time, because um, by financially supporting the platform build out and ongoing maintenance of it, as well as uh, you know, staff to manage the day to day of how that community runs, because you need a, you need community management, you need developer assistance to, to run these things. So there is there is at least a modest budget that you need to maintain to do this, and we've done it pretty inexpensively comparatively to some platforms that are out there that i I shall not name um but uh they get uh, a number of really valuable things from this so they get the visibility among a community of uh professionals of color uh who are there uh they get the collective ability to get Bigger name draws for events and educational opportunities from voices in diversity and inclusion from probably across the country, across the world. Um, they'll get the opportunity to hire people from that community and to have influence on how that how that community operates. And I think that is a powerful model that I have not seen in operation elsewhere. You know, certainly there are there are organizations that pay into communities and are looking for their data. But they are silent partners in the background. We are not looking for these organizations to be silent partners. We're looking for them to be involved and active and leaders uh, in the space. And I think uh, that, that's a that's a world-changing technology implementation uh, in my book.
2: Looking for them to be stakeholders along yeah. with the other stakeholders who can gain or lose as the result of how this turns out. And you know, that's that's really, I think. The definition of community and by the way i'll share that open reconnaissance is the principle attached to that that explains human behavior uh, humans as tribal animals uh we uh one of our good friends terry thiel actually his book came out i think yesterday uh and uh, derek and i had him on the podcast a few months ago and um i was fascinated because he was, he was talking about how human brains uh really are designed for one primary thing, the, the cognitive brain, by the way, um, that the reptilian hindbrain, the amygdala that drives most of our, our decisions and choice making is really based on appetites, our lusts, our lusts and our fears. So we're designed uh, and, for uh,
1: watching reality TV.
2: Well, right. That's right. a big That's exactly <laughs> right. And choosing things that are placed in context with things that make us emotional. So why, why wouldn't we get angry or jubilant over social media? It's designed to take advantage of you making choices, making bad choices. Anyway, uh, so but the uh, cerebellum, the cognitive and rational part of the human mind developed really in order to make excuses to the rest of the tribe for all of our mistakes. So they wouldn't kick us out, kill us dead or starve us to death. And so if you think about how humans are wired and our deep flaws, you know, as uh, as people, there's no wonder, you know, our because our cognitive minds are excuse making machines to the rest of the group. Here's why I screwed up, please don't kill me. Don't sacrifice me to that deity. Don't you know send me outside the city walls to be eaten by wolves. Use your imagination as to all the different permutations of being uh, made an outsider. And that's, I think, a big part of that community dynamic is, S.R.C.'s bring people in stakeholder reconnaissance communities bring people in, because the more of us there are who are putting eyes on an issue and hearts on an issue. The higher resolution version of reality we're going to be able to discover together, in other words, the truth is still the truth, sometimes we call it your truth or my truth, but that's not that's a way of saying it's true. Um, It's still the same reality. And it's just that I look at an object or a perspective or an issue differently than you. And I think in this era now of relative intolerance, at least on social media, that's what I hope SRCs can become. The the agreement to disagree, because I, I see it differently. I see it from a different point of view. And it's okay for you to disagree with me. It doesn't make my point of view less valid because you have a different one.
1: People are looking for tribes. You know, we're we're looking for places where we can belong. And the the, the problem with social media is it's everybody all the time. And what makes SRCs work, what makes online communities work is that there are clear boundaries. Who belongs here and who doesn't belong here? You know, who, who has a stake here and who doesn't? And it doesn't, as you said a little bit earlier, it doesn't matter that there are people that disagree with each other in that space. In fact, I would argue that that connotes that it's going to be a healthy space. Where there's discussion and negotiation about values, but there's there's shared values in those places. If I go to Facebook, I don't know that I've got shared values, you know, with, with the individuals who are there. And in fact, I feel like I could be manipulated, you know, in terms of my values and and dropped into this echo chamber where I only hear my own viewpoints of, of what's there. Uh, so uh, yeah so I think what we're what we're going to see, and and Derek, you had asked, but sort of like, what's the you know, how's this impacting the future you know of of online communities and in, in what we're doing? There, that, that that's one of those those things that that we're doing. I think that we're going to see um, a strong interest or a migration away from some of those large platforms to more of these private community social experiences, uh, simply because we want to be around people that we can trust more uh, with what's there. Now, there's it's a double edged sword because you're going to get communities where people are reinforcing their own wackadoodle conspiracy theories, you know, too. Um, And so a lot of this is dependent upon um, thoughtfully creating these community spaces, um, being transparent about their purpose so that I can feel trust and safe in that space and ensuring that Um, you know, through good community management practices, good hygiene, um, that you're encouraging the kinds of positive behaviors that you wanna see um, in those communities, rather than ramping up people's emotional stakes to angry levels where they, you know, it might be a lot of activity, it might be what a lot of platforms call engagement, but it's not good engagement. It's, it's It's not helpful engagement, and it's not stuff that builds people up, it tears them down.
2: On Instagram and its impact on young women's, you know, mm-hmm. opinions of, of themselves and, and others. I think that was just in the news recently, and how this toxic that is. And and frankly, the young women weren't surprised either. They were, they expected that was probably by design.
1: Yeah, very true. Very true.
0: Let me ask this: the um, we started out the podcast talking about Dungeons and Dragons and its inspiration being uh, coming from uh, the the practice of war gaming and different things like that. In these stakeholder reconnaissance communities. Do you guys think there's opportunity for, once once those communities are built and there's a certain level of trust there, as I see it, there's separations. Each, each member of that community is gonna be separated from a certain, you know, certain of the cores of the various subtopics that might occur there. You know, you might have a topic around We Exist, for instance, that just went live, you know, for the listeners that listen to that podcast. You know, there's there's going to there's a number of different topics within that, from talent attraction to making people feel safe to a whole myriad of other things. Would the would the practice of simulating uh, community behavior be something that you see as an opportunity in those environments, from the standpoint of uh, removing bias while still having truth and trust? be paramount to nearly everything else. What, what do you think?
1: Um, so I, I, if I'm understanding you right, I mean, are you saying is there is there room for, uh, for applying uh, ideas about wargaming and simulation in those environments? Uh, yes, and potentially
0: we- even conducting simulations in those environments to be able to forecast with a more or, or less biased audience what the future mm-hmm. of a certain topic might look like.
1: In fact, I would suggest that it's essential. I, I I think that that there are all all of the enterprise organizations that are out there that are clamoring to create BRGs and you know or employee resource groups um, that are inclusive and diverse. Um, they run up against the wall uh, in terms of their ability to get outside of themselves and to think about the bigger picture and how that's gonna have an impact on them. I think that having a space like like we exist and being able to conduct uh, simulations and trainings where people have to get outside of themselves, that they have to experience otherness um, and understand some of the dynamics and forces that have led to current state talent crises and the perceptions that, that we exist is literally fighting against that 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 whole idea of a wealth gap and that there isn't enough diverse talent in, in a given market. Um, I think that there the training needs to happen with enterprise organizations. They need to, they need to understand that. And they they I think there are valuable lessons to be learned through those simulations as opposed to merely doing trainings um, that are linear video training. Like we've got a we've got a lot of online learning management systems out there that wanna walk you through, you know, videos or audios and PDF downloads, and they're great. There's, and it's, it, it, it helps a certain kind of learner, but I, I would contend that, the, you know, the kind of stuff that, you know, the kind of games and things that I'm into, um, those tabletop experiences, one of the reasons why those are so addictive and so powerful is because that they're immersive. Um, they, they drop you into a situation and you have to put yourself inside somebody else's shoes. Uh, and understand what the tactical situation is and make decisions and deal with the consequences of those decisions. That's something you don't get from standard training kind of situations. I, I think we have to do those.
0: Yeah, and we can integrate like a escape room concept. That
2: might be kind of fun. Yeah.
1: <laughs> what do you think about <laughs> I love it? this, yeah.
2: So uh, I think this is a great segue to the tokenomics topic uh, that I want to make sure we dig into because um, while gamification has been a part of uh, the online community world really since the start of web 2.0. Using tokens that represent community equity is a relatively new innovation really from web 3.0, the application of blockchain technology to um, decision-making. And uh, we've been experimenting this summer with a project called Kineticoin, uh, which uh, by the way is hopefully also someday going to be a fungible uh, token. Uh, Currently is a non-fungible token to represent equity based upon actions that people have performed. And so it's a way for a community to create incentives behind specific actions that are recorded then in the database uh, that the community uh, assigns to each user. And then that is claimed off the blockchain using a crypto wallet. Now, those tokens can then be uh, used in various ways. Now, be careful not to use the word spent. Uh, they can be traded. They can also be used to uh, perform certain um, decentralized decision-making activities, such as a quadratic uh, vote or um, decision. Whereby uh, you don't buy more votes, you have more votes, and the the more votes you try and tip the scales towards your optimal choice, the the, the less each of those votes matters. So, in other words, it creates a sense of community equity because there's no, you know, hippo in the room, uh, the highest paid person in the room, and whatever their opinion is is less influential than its goodwill to the the community and the collective, you know. Uh, representation of value. Traditionally, uh, in politics, for example, we do that through authoritarianism. uh, And we have examples left and right of how that never works out. It never works out. And, you know, I I spent four years at UW-Madison getting a political science degree. And the only thing I learned is politics makes you dumb. So, this is a mechanism that actually puts the decision making power into the hands of the people in a decentralized way, which, of course, is very threatening to authoritarians when communities have liberty like that. So, I don't know. I wanted to, that's my little preamble to our tokenomics, behavioral tokenomics portion of this conversation, because it's directly relevant to Derek's question around wargaming and simulations as a way to practice allocating capital before you actually. Allocate capital and see how it actually turns out, based on the other stakeholders' decisions.
1: Yeah, so I—I uh, I mean, this is this is all net new learning for me uh, within the past eight or so months that we've been working on this project. Uh, and while I had been aware of the blockchain and NFTs and the host of dizzying terms uh, that are used ar- around uh, the crypto world. Um, I, I agree. I mean, I think that there are ways that uh, NFTs can be used to recognize accomplishment and behaviors, and to create a kind of e- economy based on uh, on your deeds. Uh, you know, with, within this safe space, um, rather than uh, you know something that's more autocratic. Um, and and that's it's incredibly powerful so as somebody that's done a lot of work in in gamification um for different community platforms the biggest complaint about those those platforms is is that the out of the box gamification that's there is that you know points badges and leaderboards uh, they're they're the they're the peanut butter and jelly of gamification and they um they often if not very often fall flat um with community members because they don't represent meaningful accomplishment um, within the space. And what I what I'm what I'm loving about the NFTs is that they're offering something that is a unique marker uh, of accomplishment, and recognizing, um, recognizing participation and then offering equity uh, in that community to be able to um, vote for. Uh, or bear a token, you know, for, for one activity or another, you know, to, to take the community in, in, in a direction. So by this thinking, a, someone in the community who is not from a big enterprise organization, but who is participating in everything and earning NFTs could end up being a far more influential voice um, within the community simply because of their, their actions and commitment and contributions to these communities, and you know, often you'll hear from members of communities, you know, they'll say, "Well, I don't really feel like I've got you know any say over the direction." Well, here they have a quantifiable say over over what happens in that community space. So there's no saying like you 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 know you've got no influence if you've if you've done the work if you've been in the space and you've you've contributed, you've got the influence, and I can point to it and say it's right there in your tokens and. Those tokens are maybe represented as badges in your in your profile um, with what you do. So I can see that you're a four star general, you know, in in the community, and that you you've got the cloud. And I need to I better salute to you. So I, I kind of love that.
0: It's a pretty awesome concept, you know, uh, reducing it to practice and seeing it come alive in the in the communities that we're talking about. These SRCs is going to be really fun to kind of continue to work on. You know, all of us together. And, See where we can take that, right? Um, trying to think of other topics while you have you on the podcast. What what other uh, range of subtopics around communities do you want our listeners to have a chance to hear about today, Doug?
1: Well, I mean, I think there's some really interesting things, um, you know, happening in in online community spaces right now, and the We Exist community and the the things that we're doing with stakeholder reconnaissance communities. I really think are at the forefront uh, of that work. Uh, a couple of a couple of trends that stand out for me. Um, the localization of online communities, um, this is new, this is, I mean, I, you know, certainly there are Facebook groups around different neighborhoods and organizations. You can call those communities, um, but often they're not under management and they're not as consciously designed as what we're trying to do here. Um, so I think there's, there's, there's power on that. I think the integration of NFTs into the community world, you know, are certainly a big trend. And something we're going to see a lot more of, you know, there are certainly uh, NFT um, led communities, you know, that are that are actually based around the whole idea of trading NFTs like trading cards. Um, I think those are probably going to fade into obscurity you know, sooner than later, but the actual NFTs themselves incorporating them into the ways the communities work and offering people privacy of data, protecting intellectual property um, through the minting of NFTs. Those kinds of things, I think, are going to continue to have waves of effect over the next decade, um, as as we uh, as we see, you know, because blockchain isn't going anywhere, I don't think. Uh, so, so these things are going to remain. Um,
0: can also, I very interesting. Real,
1: can oh, I, sure. can I pause yeah. you real quick
0: while we're on this topic of localization of online communities. What do you really mean by that? My interpretation of that would be, you have your online community, but then you have an easy way to see who's localized physically or geographically around you, or is there no physical or geographic component to what you're driving at? No, there,
1: there is. So I, I think that, uh, yeah, what, what I'm describing here is, um, rather than, uh, communities that don't have any kind of s- county state municipal boundaries, um, which, which is many of the communities you see, they're based around an interest, a profession, a hobby, um, you know, a cause, um, those are, those are your bigger communities, your macro online communities. I think we're looking at more of these micro cell communities that have the potential to grow and scale over time. And, you know, usually like I'm, I'm a big proponent of the emergent community design where you, you have a smaller community, you know, group of people to, to form that community and then grow that over time, um, rather than doing a big launch and having like thousands of people come into the, to a space because it's sort of a recipe for failure, but I, I think there's there's a uh, an emerging world here, and we exist as an example of this. The neighboring life community that we're working on together—I don't know if I can say anything about that yet—is uh, is a um, uh, is another example of this, where we are not only building people who have common values with each other, but they're also geographically close to each other, and so. Um, that is that is coinciding with uh, it's the the CMX uh, community industry report from 2021 talks about this as being increasingly um, hybrid kinds of communities where there there is a live component an in person component with a virtual component uh, and that and they're they're married together um, and they're 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 seeing that more corporate organizations are are doing this it's not just the virtual it's also the in person. Um, element to it that's that's powerful. We, we are out at the edge of that, but we're doing it with multiple organizations, which I think is incredible.
2: Yeah, I'll just add to that, uh, Derek, that there's a couple of NFT types that we've got some experience with and then subtypes of those. The one that we've been spending most of our time with is called POAP or proof of attendance protocol, which is um, specifically uh, claimable as a result of your being a participant in something that happened in time and is not happening anymore. So that thing happened. And we're, our first prototype was around the Wellness Check Wednesday uh, program for We Exist, which started in 2020 in the depths of the pandemic. June, 2020, they're trying to figure out a way to connect. Post George Floyd, you know, just all in the mix of that whole thing. And, and professionals of color, particularly in Milwaukee, not knowing how to gather. They were, they were completely fragmented. And so We Exist was really born out of that Wellness Check Wednesday set of events that were not recorded, by the way. And that's actually an important element in all this. You had to be there. You had to take time out of your day to show up and come because, because we're not recording it. You can't play it back later on. Now, that changed moving into 2021 as lockdowns kind of eased. And so we actually have two different Kinetic Coin one for the 2020 Wellness Check Wednesdays, one for 2021. And now we're going to be moving to Zoom uh, in 2022 with Wellness Check Wednesday. So that re- actually represents a deepening integration with our community's platform and the, both the open source as well as the proprietary elements of that. And I think when you get into the local stuff, that's where people come together and they have actual meetups and encounters. And there is an NFT family called Proof of Location Protocol, which is primarily used in IoT. You know, to track where a device or an object is relative to another device or object or person, uh, proof of location protocol can be used to really catalog where two people were at the same time. Or if they did a few years ago, the phenomenon of flash mobs uh, emerged, where a hundred people would all converge on you know one central square and break dance for 30 seconds. That kind of thing, which is kind of it's kind of like NFTs are today with the whole art element, and and just sort of collecting these digital uh, art artifacts, really. Um, I kind of see that as sort of where flash mobs were maybe a decade ago, and where flash mobs are going, I think has more to do with meetups, you know, getting together with people who have something in common, they're stakeholders in something in common, and they're doing something together. And it, the, the most important part of this for me is action. No action, no traction is my Uh, 2021 uh, motto, by the way. And a few years ago, my motto was no excuses. No excuses is becoming a central part of what we're talking about, I think, with stakeholder reconnaissance communities. And I'll cite the mission of We Exist, closing the prosperity gap by dispelling the talent myth. That's a really important uh, shared mission that I think everyone who's attracted to We Exist shares neighboring life, which of course will be at least in release, if not you know, pre-launch by the time this airs, that's really about closing the connection gap by dispelling the relationship myth. In other words, I don't need to know my neighbors. Well, then who's going to take care of them? I mean, I've been put here in this neighborhood alongside them. We live right next door. Why wouldn't I care for my neighbor and have them care for me? And then of course, I think Recon G2, Derek, uh, can develop a similar mission and I'm seeing a trend that there is a gap to close in order to dispel a myth of some kind. And I see that even with open recon, kind of the the where I hope this these sets of principles will be most uh, openly espoused, which is really about closing, what did I write down the other day? I don't remember where I put it. Here it is. Closing the insight to action gap by dispelling the uncertainty myth. And I forgive me if that's the first time you've heard that, Todd, but... That's how I would describe open recon. It takes uncertainty out because uncertainty is a myth. It's really about under certainty. It's really about not being certain enough in order to act on something. So you procrastinate. And that's actually my only character trait worth talking about is I'm a strategic procrastinator. I (laughs) I procrastinate right up to the threshold of under certainty. And then when I'm sure that something is certain, imminent, and important, that's when I act. And in fact, I feel a little guilty if I act without those characteristics being in place. So, um, strategic procrastination, notwithstanding, I think that's what's happening with SRCs. And you know, interested in your reaction to that.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think the things you're describing around uh, creating SRT, or SRCs as a way to um, catalyze change and action is important. I think those those spaces. Um, are you know especially the way that they are mission driven around eliminating uncertainty, getting to know neighbors, dispelling a myth. that is inviting people into that space to espouse at some level and 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 immunitize that uh, that characteristic uh, in themselves. And so these these places, so these these online spaces are really uh liminal or play spaces where we can experiment with identities where we try on faces about like who we are there are extreme reactions there's extreme versions of that where you've got bad actors that are doing things in bad faith um, to become you know becoming someone else else to, to get information or to do something untoward what we're talking about here is the adoption of a version of yourself that is maybe pushing an edge out in some way or another. And we're constructing identities in these places. That's why those war games or simulations are so important. It's a chance to try on different versions of ourselves or to experiment with, well, what do those conversations look like if I'm talking about dispelling the, the, the talent myth? The things that I talk about in that space, I suddenly get a reputation for having a certain tack or point of view around it. And then I meet people in person And I have those conversations and suddenly that becomes part of my physical in-person identity as well. And so that's, that's a theory, you know, called identity bleed, um, where the things that you're experimenting with, um, in this liminal space, you bring back to your day-to-day world and that becomes a part of who you are. You adopt the things that work. So I, I get excited about this stuff, man. I, I, I think it's, I think it's a terrific way that you described it, Eric. And and I, I certainly relate to it.
0: As teased uh, neighboring life uh, for our listeners, episode 26, which will air around the first of February, is all about neighboring life with our good friends, uh, Amy and Jeff Meyer. So tune in for that one coming up uh, here in about a month.
1: They're incredible people. Yes. They are awesome people.
0: Um, well, as we try to wrap up here, Todd, you know, it's always great uh, if we can give people a chance to kind of understand how they can communicate with you. Uh, where do they find Todd Nilsen out there in the open world? Yeah, basically. Uh, email, LinkedIn, if,
1: I assume. If you, yeah, if you drop my my name into a Google search engine, you'll you'll find all kinds of interesting things. But uh, yeah, I'm uh, I'm super findable on uh, good things. Uh, I hope um, I'm super findable on uh, LinkedIn, uh, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, you know, you can reach out to me. You can find out uh, or read more of my stuff uh, up on uh, my website, which is ClocktowerAdvisors.com. And uh, I post a regular blog there. I also put out a, uh, a Friday newsletter called A View from the Clock Tower, uh, where I talk about various issues around community management and digital strategy. And also like to post Instagram photos from around two rivers because it is a beautiful place to live and you should come and visit here. Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah, please reach out to me. I am very responsive and uh, love to talk about uh, any and all of the topics that we touched upon today.
2: And don't miss Todd's live stream on LinkedIn, Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 11 central, I believe. Is that right?
1: That is right. Thank you very much. In fact, uh, it'll be past. So I I won't plug this particular one, but yeah, Monday, Wednesdays, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 11 a.m. U.S. Central on LinkedIn live. I also live stream simultaneously to YouTube and Facebook uh, for that. So you can catch it on your favorite social platform.
0: The okay, Johnson brothers were actually on your LinkedIn live, uh, not all that long ago. Super fun that's conversation right. in itself. Well, Todd, thanks uh, very much for coming on the podcast. You know, the, uh, as we always say every leader out there in the world goes through a certain uh, degree of fog and fog running. And uh, sometimes you can see that fog and other times not as easily. Uh, one of these days, uh, I'm going to wait until the middle of winter. I'm going to come and walk the, Sandy shores of Lake Michigan with you, and see what you're talking about there with the changes in the sand structure. And maybe I'll maybe I'll bring a raft, and we'll go out into some of those little caves that you mentioned at the start of the podcast too. Eric, bring us home.
2: What do you got? Well, I'll just say thank you, Derek. As always, uh, pleasure teaming up with my baby brother on these things. Uh, I would not want to do it with anybody else, and uh, you know, it, uh, I love running into the fog with you. And Todd, thank you for running into the fog with Joe Bros uh, here today. We can't wait for this to go live and uh, and introduce our audience to you and, and hopefully expand your audience in the process. So once again, just uh, tremendous thanks and gratitude uh, for your collaboration on Open Recon. We Exist, Neighboring Life, about to be Recon G2, and however many others we uh, are able to launch in the months ahead. Uh, it's a fantastic uh, opportunity for us to I guess carve out some new space and I'll let you have the final word, time.
1: Oh, thank, thank you so much. It's, a, it's an honor to work with both of you and the team from Aurora WDC. Uh, you guys uh, are the smart people in the room and uh, I learn from you every time we have a conversation and I uh, hope that I'm able to contribute some things as well. So uh, thanks for having me on the, uh, on the podcast and uh, I will continue to listen to this series with interest and all the other neat people that you've had on.
0: I'll, Next, I'll close. I'll close by saying Happy New Year, everybody. So by the time you listen to this, it'll be 2022. I hope you have a prosperous, healthy, and safe, uh, personally and professionally. You know, 2022. Thank you for tuning into our podcast. Join us for episodes. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Todd. Eric. Have a great week, everybody.
2: See you again soon.
1: See you.